0: Uh, let's pray, and then we'll jump into uh, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Jesus, thanks so much for uh, this morning. Uh, Thanks for uh, a great VBS this year, and thanks for the work that you did in the kids, and uh, thanks for the work that you did uh, through the adults as well. God, it's just a fantastic week, and uh, thanks for all the volunteers. Uh, Thanks for Maris's leadership into that, and uh, just kind of steering the ship, and uh, Lord, uh, we don't want to take any credit or any glory for that, like you did the work and you used your people to do it, and so we're just thankful for you, uh, I pray that you would receive it all. We're going to give our time and our attention to you this morning as we look at your word, uh, Father. Would you give us wisdom to understand what you have for us? Uh, in my uh, brokenness, Father, would you speak through me? I'm just going to let your spirit uh, move as he wants to this morning, we're going to trust you to do uh, your work in Jesus' name now, Amen. I got a question for you guys, uh, and the question is, do you believe uh, that God knows what he's doing? And, and I mean, like, he, he's got a plan for everything. Uh, he's got a plan for your life. He's got a plan for humanity. He's got a plan for the world that he's created. Do you uh, believe that? And, and, and hear, hear me out, right? I'm not asking uh, if you like his plan, okay? Because that's a, that's a completely different question, right? I'm not asking if you agree with his plan? Because that's a different question as well. I'm asking, do you believe that he has a plan and that he knows what he's doing with the world that he's created, especially with with your life? And I think how we answer that question um, is going to help shape the way we look at the situations that we have in life to either be motivated that no matter how good life is for you right now, or how bad life could ever get for you, that you somehow you don't lose hope because you know that in the grand scheme of things that God has a plan for you. Or you could maybe get a little bit depressed because the situation that you find yourself in is just kind of, ah, uh, you know, it, it is uh, what it is, and it really doesn't feel like there may be hope for anything different in your life. And so as you know, we're in a series uh, called Old School Wisdom as we look at the book of Proverbs. And we're, we're looking at how God has given his wisdom in the past and how that wisdom isn't antiquated and it's not out of date, but it's actually exactly what we need to live the life that he's called us to live right now. And so we're taking his old school wisdom and we're bringing it into now into our real life scenarios and situations that we're living in to see how he would steer and direct us. And so what we've been looking at is kind of this is where the rubber meets the road kind of theology not pie in the sky. Um, I, I, I know this is true, but this is when my theology comes into practice to how I actually live my life. And, and the reason why we're doing this is that there are a lot of contributing voices in our culture right now that would say, hey, I, I know what's true, and it has nothing to do with what you've been reading in the Bible. We've actually evolved away from the Bible. We, 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 we've grown past that, we're, we're, we've grown and we've evolved as a, as a society, and, and, and so now you have to adjust what you've believed over the past thousands of years, you have to adjust what you believe to be true to the movements now of, of the culture. And I, I don't know, have you heard that word adjust recently? I mean, I feel like I keep hearing this in conversations when I listen on the radio or when I watch something on television, on the news, or I just see, keep seeing this word adjust come up. And the idea of adjust, it's not like this this huge shift away from things. It's this, this, it it sounds not very intimidating because it's just little moves, right? You just make a couple little changes, uh, change, adjust what you believe just a little bit and make room now for something new. And so the argument is that, that wise people are going to adjust to the movements of the culture. And so if you don't adjust to the culture, you've somehow found yourself in the foolish category, or you've somehow found yourself in the, anti- uh, 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 the antiqued um, category, or if we want to be real blunt about it, we find ourselves in, in the bigoted uh, category as well. And it's really pretty blatant in our culture right now. And so with all the adjusting that's taking place, I think it's critical that we are intentional with the wisdom that we're taking in. Because remember what we talked about, what's coming in is eventually going to work its way out uh, in in one way or another. So the wisdom that we're taking in, um, it's going to help shape the way we think. It's going to help shape the way that we practice. It's going to help shape the decisions and the plans that we're making for our lives. So I think it's critical to understand the wisdom that we're bringing into our minds. And there's, I think there's a a fundamental question for believers and non-believers alike that is underneath the surface of all this uh, adjusting and the cultural noise that we hear. And I think it's the question that we started with. The question is, do we believe that God has a plan and that he knows what he's doing? I mean, really, do we believe that he knows what he's doing in this world? Because if we believe that he has this overarching plan for our life and and for humanity as a whole, then it's easier for us to not go along with just the flow of what's being spoken. If we believe that he has a plan, then then I know that I'm able to stand firm, maybe against the cultural water and not feel like a fish out of, of the water. But if we believe that life just happens, and there's really no kind of blueprint or grand scheme behind what's going on, then it's going to be easier for us to just kind of be like, well, yeah, let's just watch this one shake out. Let's just see how this uh, ends up going. And so what I want to do is I want us to look at two verses of wisdom that Solomon has been passing down to his sons and passing not only to his sons, but remember how we talked about, this isn't just to his sons, but he's also writing as a sage for generation to generation to generation that are going to come to those who are sitting in this room right now for us to hear. So I want to look at these two verses that I think if we let them, can shape how we believe or, or how we practice uh, what we believe. No matter where we've been in life up to this point, no matter where we find ourselves, I think these two verses, if we let them, they will give us wisdom that can help shape uh, our life right now. And so Adeline already read uh, these two verses, but I just want to refresh our memory here again in Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Here, here's what Solomon writes. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and don't lean on your own understanding in all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll make straight your paths. So what I want to do is I just want, this is like two verses, guys. We're not going any further than that. This is where we're at. And so I want to take time for us to really look at this and, and break down uh, what, what it means. And so what does it mean then for us to trust in the Lord with, with all of our hearts? Well, the operative word here is highlighted. It's trust, right? But it's not just a blanket trust that you just place on anything. This is trust that gets focused on the Lord and that's qualitative, or it's qualified um, by the quality that comes from our heart and the devotion that comes along with it. And, and so let's look at this trust. Trust means to lie down on. Trust means put, to put the entire weight uh, that you're carrying or that you're holding to put it onto something. So it's like this, if we go to sleep uh, on our bed at night, you, you lie down on that bed with all of your weight, and you are trusting that that bed is going to hold you up throughout the night, right? None of us go to bed at night looking at our bed and be like, well, that's been a pretty good bed for the last 10 years. I hope it does its job tonight. None of us look at our bed and just think, well, I, I, I hope it's going to just, just hold up. No, what we do is if you've got a little bit of spunk in you, you start down the hallway and you run as fast as you can and then you superman into that thing, all right, and you land as hard as you can. Or if you're a little bit more conservative, you kind of walk in and you slowly slide under the covers. But either way, however you enter into the bed, the expectation is that it's going to hold you up throughout the night, that when you wake up, it's not going to be because the thing crashed on you, it's going to be because it did its job. It held the weight that you put on it. And so, if we put this in the context of trusting in the Lord, as Solomon is saying here, trust is looking at God and saying, Yes, I can put the full weight of my life in your hands. I see you as the source of wisdom, I see you as the source of strength. I see, I look out at creation, I see the sun, the moon, the stars, I look at the trees, I look at human beings, I look at the fish in the sea, I look at the mighty work of your hands and I can see that you are powerful, you are creative, you have wisdom, and I can also put my trust in knowing that you can guide me, not just in seeing that you are over creation, but that you can guide me in my daily morality, you can guide me in ethics, you can guide me in my finances, in my dating life. You can help me navigate how to raise my kids. You can help me with my retirement plans. You can guide me in all matters pertaining towards life and practice and faith. And you can show me how to live this godly life that you've called me to live. I don't have to try to look towards new school wisdom and new school ideas of thought to try to figure out how to navigate life because you've already told me how to navigate life. It's in your word. And so every single ounce of my being Every single pound of my flesh, every bit of my life, and all of my decisions, they are in capable hands when I cast them onto you, when I put them into you. You can bear up under the weight uh, of what you're calling me to. And, And so trusting in the Lord, then, is placing the full weight of our lives in God's wisdom. And so what Solomon does is he qualifies this idea of trust, and he says, with your whole heart with all of your heart, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And what he's doing here, he's, he's told them this is what trust is, but also we, we, want, we want to make sure that you understand he's passed, again, he's passing this down to his boys, that's going to pass down to generation to generation, right? And so he's making sure that they understand that this means your entire life. There's, there's nothing that gets to get left out of it. There, there's no exceptions. Yeah, you can have this, but not, not over here. Yeah, I'll let you have control in this area, but I'm going to hold back something. He's, he's making sure that they know it's everything, without exception, all of you. In the Old Testament and within the New Testament as well, the heart is a figure of speech for the, the, uh, everything that is inside of the man, the, the, the mind, the will, the desire, the intellect, the emotions, the way that you think, every Everything. All of this is wrapped up. And so what Solomon is saying, trust in the Lord with everything that you are. But you might be saying, and I think maybe rightly so, like, good night, man. Like, sometimes, like, this is hard. I've got things that are hard to hand over right now. And I've, I've trusted the Lord in so many circumstances in my life. I, I've, I've followed this verse. This was a verse that I remembered when I was a kid. This was on a coffee cup that I saw my mom or my grandma drinking when I was growing up. I know, I'm supposed to trust in the Lord. I'm, I'm not, that's, that, I mean, that's how I live my life. But then, yet, yeah, he didn't come through the way that I thought that he should come through. Things kind of fell apart, and I don't know if I can trust him with that particular area anymore. I'm going through some pretty hard things. I've been through some pretty hairy things in my life, and it doesn't feel like God is there, and if he's there, sometimes it doesn't even feel like he cares about what's going on. And so if I can put the full weight of my life on him, and I've tried that before, and in this scenario, the thing that's going on in my life right now, this is what I've got to show for it, then how can I keep doing that? I mean, it almost feels like I would be a fool to keep trusting that it wouldn't be wise for me to keep trusting. Or, Or why would I continue to do that? I mean, that's an honest question. That's a, that's a big question, I think, that, that we've got to wrestle with. And I, I know that in, in a room you know, this size, it, there, there, there's many of us that are walking around with hurts of things that we just expected God to show up on uh, that he hasn't. I, I think one of the things that uh, it's really hard for me to hand over is, is parenting. <laughs> Anybody else with me? Like Parenting is hard. And for some reason, I think that I've got it figured out. I can navigate how to do that well. And and so I look around at what's going on, and I think, well, I'm kind of a a bit of a control freak, and so I'm going to figure out how to do this well. And so it's hard for me to hand that over and let uh, God really control that. Because maybe in the back of my mind, I don't really believe, I mean, we're talking practical theology here, right? Sometimes I don't believe that he's going to do the right thing, that I've got to figure out how to do that better. But there's, a, there's an idea or there's an ideology of theology that runs throughout the Old Testament um, that a theme that, that's at work there that, that God is constantly working behind the scenes for the good of his people, right? We, we talked about that in the song that we just sang, that God is for you, that he is for you, that he is for you. And it's really hard for us to sing sometimes because we're not in that place. But this, this is the theme that runs all throughout the Old Testament, that he is constantly working behind the scenes To bring about uh, good. And so when you think he's not there, he's there. When you think he's not active, he's active, right? And so even though Joseph, who is a kind of a case study for us, he was sold into slavery, he was accused of rape, he was thrown into prison, God was working behind the scenes in his life to bring about um, uh, a way uh, for a land that was about to get uh, riddled with famine. He he was using Joseph and raising him up in a way that he had no idea of that he might help save a whole civilization. But while he was doing that, God was still at work. He was bringing and he was building the whole Hebrew nation as well. He was making them a populous group of people. God was working behind the scenes to raise Joseph up. And he was doing a, a great work. But I'm guessing that while all this was going on, Joseph didn't feel like any of this was good in his life, right? I mean, he was betrayed by his brothers, and sold into slavery. I don't know if that would have felt good for any of us. I'm sure it didn't feel good for him when, when, when he's um, being uh, accused of rape when all he wanted to do was flee away from immorality. Like he tried to flee, but he gets thrown into prison. And he's forgotten there. I'm sure it didn't feel good for him to sit there for year after year. Like is anybody going to see that I didn't do anything wrong and to come and, and rescue me? But yet in the middle of all of this, when it's not going the way that he would expect it to go, God is at work behind the scenes, doing a mighty, mighty work. And even though the Hebrews, right, they were enslaved in Egypt, God was working behind the scenes with Moses to set his people free and to create a people that he would set apart for his glory. And we turn the pages past the Old Testament and and we look into the New Testament. Just as as the pages of the Old are turning, it looks like the world is at its bleakest and it couldn't get any darker. It's in this moment where God sends forth his son at just the right time to bring about salvation and ascend into a cross when it looks like nothing good could come out of this. He is still at work. He's working behind the scenes for our good. He's always been working in the details and behind the scenes for his people. Sometimes that goodness comes in a straight line. And we can see it, and when we see it, we're like, man, that's, that's exactly, I see him working there. But sometimes that goodness comes in, 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 with wavy paths. It comes with curves and expectations, or comes with things uh, popping up into your life that you weren't uh, expecting with all these bends. Uh, we were at camp uh, a, a few weeks ago, and uh, one of our pastor friends, Gary Brandenburg, he, he said these words. He said, God will take you to places that you never wanted to go, to make you into who he's always wanted you to be. Think about that. He will take you into places that you're like, I wouldn't want to go there. I wouldn't want to do that. And when that happens, I think like God is not in this midst. But he will take you to places that you never wanted to go to bring about a change in you to make you into who he's always wanted you to be. And so it's true, just as he was changing and he was in the midst of people in the Old Testament, he's he's still doing the same thing. He's working behind the scenes in, in the scenarios of our life and those moments where we just think I can't trust him anymore—he's still worthy of being trusted with the plans. The problem I think that we have is when we feel like he's not moving according uh, to the pace that we want him to move. When he's not moving according to the, or uh, moving the way that we want him to move, because believe it or not, we have a preference, right? We have a preference before how, how we expect God to work. And we have a timetable for when we expect him to move upon. And when he doesn't work on our timetable, and he doesn't do things the way that we want him to do, then we begin to do what we sometimes do to our kids, right? We hand our kids a task and say, hey, go do this. And they don't do it the way that we want them to do, and they don't do it when we want them to do. And so we just kind of say, we take it back and we say, if I'm going to have to do it, or if something's going to get done right, I'm going to, I'm going to have to do it myself. And so we take it away from them and say, you know what, I'm going to do this myself. And my guess is there's been a time or two where you've just become and we've just become, you know what, I'm just going to have to do it myself. I'm just going to have to take the matters into my own hands. I'm going to have to grab the bull by the horns. And this is how it's going to happen. And so I think we all have to answer this question, this internal question. Do I really trust and do I really believe that God is in the details of my life? Can I trust him with that? Can I put the full weight of my life on him? And again, we're talking about boots on the ground theology. This is not pie in the sky kind of stuff. This is like, when I look at my life, do I I live like I trust the wisdom of God or do I find myself just continuing to grab the things and put them into my hands and make sure it's it's going to take place on my timetable when I want it to happen? Can can we agree, I, I think... That, that life is much easier when we just kind of uh, follow what everybody else is doing? Uh, think about that for a minute. Can we agree that life is easier when we just go along with what everybody else is doing, right? When we're not rocking the boat. We don't make any wrinkles into the plan. We don't make a fuss about what's going on around us. Like We're, we're supposed to make a ton of money and be happy, right? There's a cultural ideology that happens that says, just live for the dollar. And, and so we don't want to rock the boat And so we just kind of go along with the ideology, and so that practice begins like, I'm going to spend all of my time at work, I'm going to spend all, and so I'm not going to be around my kids, not going to be around my home, not going to be invested in the things that God has called me to, I'm just going to let society begin to to run its course. I'm supposed to find someone or anyone to love, to love me, that can make me happy regardless of what the gender is. And so we look for ways to adjust our dating morality and our decisions for relationships and marriage based on simply a physical desire and what is culturally normal around us. And because we don't want to rock the boat, we agree with the ideology that's taking place. And so we try to adjust, just enough. not not huge shifts, but just a little adjustment so that we don't rock the boat. I'm supposed to just accommodate all the changes that are against the truth of scripture and just kind of somehow be okay with that. And so in our decisions and the planning that we have, we try to find ways to synchronize, and to adjust the foundational truths that we have, while at the same time, those foundational truths are beginning to kind of erode away. But we don't want to rock the boat, and we don't want to make a loud fuss and a noise, and so we just go along with a cultural ideology. And so that wisdom is beginning to come in and shape what we do, how we do, and why we do it. So again, let's just be honest. Life would be so much easier if we just did what everybody else was doing, right? But that's not what we're called to. That is not what we're called to at all. And I don't think that's what Solomon is calling his his boys to or what he's calling us to either. Um, He's setting up a distinction between how his boys are going to navigate a culture that is pluralistic in its faith, pluralistic in its practice, And is morally and spiritually shifting away from the one true God that has constantly been at work in their midst. And so what I think he's saying to his boys here and to those who are going to hear his words, that that there are going to be people who are going to trust in whatever cultural wisdom that's out there. Whatever the popular norm is. But he's saying, but you boys, you children of mine, you believer who are going to read this thousands of years from now, You trust your plans and your decisions and how you shape your life. You put the full weight of your life on God. And you want to make wise decisions? He says it's not going to be in your own understanding. He says don't lean on your own understanding. This is how you do it. You trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and you don't lean on what's going on inside of you. You don't lean on what's going on in the culture. The image of of leaning here is the person leaning on their staff. So somebody uh, goes and they work a hard day out in the field, and they they come back and they're tired, and so they're carrying around a staff with them. The idea is that they lean into their staff to bear their weight when when they're tired, right? That was a normal thing to do. When you're tired, you just kind of lean on anything that makes it easy uh, to stand up. But the temptation is... And I think what Solomon is pointing out, that there's a temptation here to lean on things that are likely going to break, that they're going to bend, rather than uh, something that can actually hold your weight when you lean into it. Uh, I don't know if you've ever leaned against something and you expected that it was going to hold your weight and then it moved on you. Like we have some of those uh, dividing walls that we can divide the stage with or that we can put out and, and make different rooms with or whatnot. And if you know, those are on wheels. And if, you, uh, if those wheels aren't locked and you lean into that wall, that wall is going to move and you will likely fall down. Although it's a wall that looks like it's going to stand, it can't bear the weight that you put on it. How many of you have just kind of been uh, leaning sometimes and you lean, on, you lean on something and then it moves out from under you, then you just kind of stumble and you look around like, hey, did anybody see that? And you're like, uh, I know, I'm glad nobody saw it or somebody got it on camera and then the thing goes viral, right? What Solomon is pointing out here is that what we put our weight on should be able to hold our weight. And he's saying that Jesus or that, that the Lord is able to, to hold that, um, that weight. And here's where the rubber meets the road. you working two jobs so that you can put food on the table, right? And you, you come home and you're tired and your kids want to talk about what's going on at school and you're not there. Like you're just tired and, and, and you say, I, I, I need something to lean on, something to help me. And so we just send them to something mindless or you, you're, you're working and, and you're going to school at the same time, and you've got all this work that you got to do, you just can't possibly take in any more information. You're like, what am I supposed to do? with? And you just lean on whatever it is that you can and lean on. And, and then for moments, we take our hands off of the wheel and say, I don't need to be intentional right now. I don't need to be careful about what's coming in and what's going out. I don't need to be careful about what's shaping my child's mind or what's shaping my, my mind in the moment. Like, it will all work out. But I think we're beyond the time where we can just check out and take our hands off the wheel because everything that's coming in, it actually matters. In Matthew five through seven, Jesus gives like this amazing sermon on the mount. Right, he, he's talking, and I think what he's doing, is, he's he's obviously he's he's uh, talking to Pharisees with the law um, uh, about the law and how Jesus is better than the law, and there's some distinctions that, that make it better than the law. But at the same time, I think he's addressing this idea that it's easier to go with the flow and to lean on just anything that's close to you, but wisdom that actually helps, wisdom that holds us up, is often going to come from places that you wouldn't necessarily expect. Because people who are living in the kingdom of God We live in this upside down kingdom where things don't always look the same as they look in in the world, right? The the things of the kingdom, the beliefs, the practices in the kingdom, they're often upside down. And so if that's true, then the wisdom that we take from the kingdom and for the kingdom is often upside down and it doesn't make sense to the world around us. And and so Jesus, he, he shows us that there's this greater kingdom ethic that governs how we believe and it governs how we live as believers. See, what happens is a cultural ethic, it doesn't teach you to make decisions to work out the ups and downs in your marriage, right? There are ups and downs, like there are good days and there are bad days. A cultural ethic would say, you split, if it gets bad, you go find somebody else that's going to make you happy. A cultural ethic doesn't teach us uh, to make decisions to give away our treasure and to find ways to invest in the kingdom. A cultural ethic is going to say, pack your treasure in, pack as much as you can, build it here on this earth. A cultural ethic is going to tell us that when you've been wronged, you don't look for ways to turn the other cheek, right? It's going to say, you find out a way to get even. A cultural ethic isn't usually going to tell us to make a decision to sell everything that we have and to go to a, 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 a town that we can't even pronounce and, and a land that we don't even know how to get to. A cultural ethic is not going to lead us to that place. And yet in this time of uh, uh, when Jesus is standing on this mount, he, he, he taught us, Work out the differences in your marriage. Make decisions for your marriages. He he taught us not to store up treasure here on earth. He said, when you've been wrong, don't retaliate, right? Turn the other cheek, which we we see that as weakness. But what Jesus is doing is saying, this is a sign of wisdom. Choose the right fights. He he taught us to be willing to sell everything that we have to follow him and and go wherever it is that, that he might take us. And that's such a different perspective than what we take from the world around us right now. And this isn't just a bash the world kind of a deal. This just lets us align with what the scriptures tell us. And we'll randomly pick up something if we're not being intentional. If we're not paying attention, we'll just end up leaning on anything. I think the, the assumption that Solomon is having here as he's writing to his boys is that the intellect alone, listen to me, the intellect alone apart from god will never lead us to where we want to go it will never lead us to the right conclusions but because the truth is is that we are redeemed we are made righteous in the lord he has done a great work in us but there's still a fallibility in us that we're still carrying around our flesh and so we mess up and we don't always know what's best for us how humbling is that? that 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 as human beings who've got 20, 30, 70 years behind us that we don't always know what's best for us. But, be, but the, the truth is the heart wants what the heart wants sometimes, and sometimes the heart is deceitful above all things. And so we don't always know what is best for us. And so if we are always making decisions apart from God leading us, we're not going to make great decisions. And so I think what Solomon does is he keeps reeling us back in here and saying that our decisions are not to be directed by our own leaning and our own wisdom, but our decisions, if we want them to be wise and lead to the change and the character and the integrity and, and, and movement in the kingdom, I think what he's saying is that it's the trust in the Lord with, with all of our hearts, all of them. And again, that's a humbling thing. But I think that's one of the best practices and most responsible things that we can do as followers of Jesus Christ is to keep pressing in, To his wisdom and and not our own. And so, if he has a plan, that means he has a will for our life and he has a will for my life. That means I should probably want to know what that will is, right? And and so, how do we make adjustments along the way in our decision making that aren't adjustments away from what he's revealed to us? How do we make these adjustments in a way that leads us according to, to his will? Um, are you all familiar with uh, a guy named George um, uh, Mueller? Are you guys uh, familiar with him at all? He was a great evangelist. Um, he was a great uh, missionary. And he was a guy who was constantly seeking the face of the Lord. Help me to make the decisions that I need to make. And so he, he uh, built orphanage after orphanage to help uh, bring about um, care and compassion for kids. But, he also that he, but also so that he could teach the truth of the gospel. These kids as well. And so, as he's building these orphans, he's always asking God, is it time for me to build another orphanage? Is, or is that what you're calling me to? How are we going to feed these girls? How are we going to feed these kids? How are we going to take care of them? How many should we have in this, in, the, in this one room? Like, he's constantly asking God, what do I do right now? And, and so, he, as a man who wanted to know and walk according to the will of God, he, uh, he, he was constantly seeking his face. And so, he wrote some uh, ideas. On what it looks like to ascertain um, the will uh, of the Lord. And here's what he said. He said, I seek at the beginning to get my heart into such a state that it has no will of its own in regard to a given matter. That's a pretty big deal. Nine tenths of the difficulties uh, uh, are overcome when our hearts are ready to do the Lord's will, whatever it may be. Having done this, I don't leave the result to feeling or simple impression. If if I do so, I make myself liable to a great delusion. I I seek the will of the Spirit of God through or in connection with the Word of God. The Spirit and the Word must be combined. If I look to the Spirit alone without the Word, I lay myself open to to, to great delusions also. If the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit here, guides us at all, He will do it according to the Scriptures and never contrary to them. Next, I take into account providential circumstances. These often plainly indicate God's will in connection with His Word and His Spirit. I ask God in prayer to reveal to me His will aright. Just make it clear, Lord. How many of you been making decisions like, Lord, I want to do something according to Your plan, but just make it clear, right? I don't want any. I don't want any fog there. Just make it clear uh, uh, for me. Thus, through prayer to God, the study of the Word, and reflection, I come to a deliberate judgment according to the best of my knowledge and ability. And if my mind is thus at peace, I proceed uh, accordingly. Do you notice the three of the big things that he says that he uses in in making wise decisions according to the Lord? It says prayer, God's word, and reflection. Those three things will always line up. Do you you, you notice what he leaves out of that? He's not looking around to see what everybody else is doing. He's not looking around to see what's culturally normal at the time because it's not always going to line up. He's looking to see, God, what does your word tell me is good? What is your spirit leading me towards? And what situation have you put me into where you can best be glorified here? It's not asking to get into a line. Um, getting into a line sometimes will, will lead us to lean on things that we shouldn't lean into. And, and so I don't think that decision-making or what Mueller is pointing at here is just let's just sit and do nothing and wait for some divine sign of what we're supposed to do next. When scripture tells us all the time to wait on the Lord, I don't think God is saying, hey, just sit there and do nothing. I think waiting on the Lord is casting our plans and desires onto him, asking what his desires is, uh, what his desires are, and that his desires would become our desire for his plans to become our plans, and to line up our hearts with his. I say, what, where would you be leading me into this? And so Solomon starts to wrap it up here in All of your ways acknowledge him. The word acknowledge there is the word to know, right? And the word to know, it has this deep intimacy, so much so that you know how somebody is going to think, you know how they're going to act. And so I think what he's saying is to be so intimately aware, in all of our ways, everything about us, to be so intimately aware of how we would respond in any certain uh, situation uh, that our second nature is to do the will of the Lord. But that kind of decision making doesn't just happen on the spur of the moment, right? Like the best way to make a hard decision is to make the hard decision before the hard decision ever comes up. Does that make sense? Let me explain. The best way to make a hard decision is to already have in your mind how you're going to respond if a situation like that comes up. Are you going to lean into your own understanding and into your own wisdom? Or regardless of what the decision is, are you going to say, this is how God will lead here. And so I'm going to follow where he leads me. And whatever the outcome may be, whether it's a straight line or whether it's a curve in the road, I'm going to follow him there. The best way to make a hard decision is to make the decision before you ever need to make that decision. And I I thought about this word, uh, all, quite a bit this week. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. I I think there are times like we just want want to give God pieces of our lives and not the whole thing, not the all that Solomon would be talking about here. Like, I like food, okay? If I, were to get, if I were to get a piece of a pie and I was expecting the whole pie, like I'd be pretty upset. Like this was good, but I wanted the whole thing, right? If I were to go to Nebraska Furniture Mart and Ashley and I were to get a couch and we would be excited about the couch and we're waiting for it to be uh, delivered to us and, and the delivery guys show up with a big truck, we're like, yes, the, the thing is finally here. And they come and they bring in a cushion and then they set it into the house. Be like, man, that's a great cushion, but where's the rest? right? Where's the, where's the rest of this thing? And But they uh, took the, the bill of sale and the delivery and they say, okay, delivered. I'm like, okay, well, well, hold on. Where's the rest of the couch? Because the piece isn't the whole, right? We want the, the whole thing. I, I think the confusion and the turmoil that we bump into sometimes is because we sometimes try to live in these duplicitous lives. Pieces of our devotion here, pieces of our devotion over here. And when we are torn in our devotion, it's like you got two people that are gripping the wheel, One's jerking left and one's jerking right and the car's all over the place. You got somebody who's driving behind you like, what on earth is going on up there? They have no idea which direction they're going. They don't know what they're doing. And you got passengers in the seat. And there are passengers in the back like, what is going on? And they don't even know what right looks like at that point. And so what Solomon says, he says, he'll make your path straight. How, how, how's he going to make the path straight? Well, it's not going to become from our own doing. It's going to be by trusting in the Lord with all of our hearts all of our soul, all of our mind. Uh, Robert Frost wrote uh, in uh, his uh, famous poem, The Road Not Taken, he said, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. And, And I think in a culture today where we are just, man, we are riddled with all kinds of information and and uh, different voices that are saying this is what wisdom looks like and this is the direction that we go. And I, I think that, that we're really, we're in a time right now where there's kind of forks in the road. Like you can take two different directions. I mean, Jesus spoke about that in Matthew 7, right? And there's one road that looks difficult. There's one road that looks hard. It looks arduous. It's got twists and turns and it's got uh, a tight way that, to get in. And then there's this road over here that's just so dang wide, and it just looks like this is the way to go, and everybody's on it. It's it's like the autobomb. People are flying down, and there's so much room. But I think we're living in a time where this isn't the road that we're taking. There's so much value in the road that Jesus is calling us to. And for us to to live a life that says, man, I don't know where it's going to take me, and my life has looked crazy up to this point, but Jesus, wherever it takes me, I want what you want. Jesus, I I want what you want. God, I want what you want. And so whatever you need to do with my will and my heart and my desire, where it doesn't line up with yours, line it up. Where I'm beginning to see adjustments in my life that are adjusting me away from the truth that's been handed down, let me find ways to move back to what you've called me to. Adjust me, but adjust me towards you. Don't let me be adjusted to the culture. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray um, that with the time that we've had your spirits move, Lord, I, I, I know I'm fallible and I don't make the right decisions all the time and don't say the right things all the time, but with you, Lord, you make the truth stick. And so through what you've spoken to us through Solomon, God, I pray that in our daily lives that we just this week would say, Jesus, we want what you want. We want what you want. Let our hearts be pricked by you. Let our desires be pricked by you. Let our, let our beliefs be pricked by you. Let the cultural leanings that we have be pricked by you. And everything that we do this week, let our hearts be adjusted toward yours, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys.